and to keep on moving forward. Keep on moving forward. Keep on moving forward. Never turning back. Never turning back. The scientific industrial revolution led to a worldview that said if you couldn't take it apart, if you couldn't dissect it, if it wasn't physical, it was meaningless. You cannot have healthy people on a sick planet. It's something fresh. It's an integrative vision. All the rituals that women come up with and design have a particular connecting power. And I really just came to realize that I didn't need any material stuff anymore. I really didn't. The real energy is the energy in us. Democracy is not only uh, the act of voting. Democracy is everywhere and every day. We rise in the morning to give our thanks, and we settle at night to give our thanks. Welcome to The Power of Wisdom, a special program on the ninth Biennial Sisters of Earth Conference held July 8th to 11th, 2010, at the Passionist Retreat Center in Riverdale, New York. I'm Jari Chevalier, and you just heard the music of Emma's Revolution and just a few voices from among the 160 women who gathered for this event. Currently, there are over 400 women in the Sisters of Earth network, progressive women religious and progressive lay women whose outlook is eco-spiritual. Thomas Berry, an important mentor of the Sisters of Earth, died in 2009 after having lived and worked just next door from the site of this year's conference in Riverdale. Barry taught a fourfold path to wisdom, which integrates the wisdom of women, of the indigenous, of science, and of the world's classical religions. The celebrated eco-feminist and author Vandana Shiva and her sister, public health activist Dr. Mira Shiva, are both dedicated scientists and grassroots activists from India. They gave a series of blazing talks on how multinational corporations and international trade agreements have brought disastrous consequences to human health and ecosystems in their country and in other countries around the world, including North America. They regularly address crowds of hundreds, sometimes thousands, speaking of the grassroots counterforce and civil disobedience with which they have urgently addressed injustices in India. Another leader and speaker at the conference, Elizabeth Pareto Beltran of the Salon Foundation in Bolivia, also spoke of her nation's successful activism. The Bolivian people continue in their struggle to keep natural resources, especially minerals and water, out of the hands of multinational corporations working to privatize these resources for the profit of foreign investors rather than to improve living conditions for the people of Bolivia. She told us that President of Bolivia Evo Morales has said that, quote, either we can save capitalism or we can save Mother Earth. We cannot do both, unquote. There is a swiftly building international people's movement demanding rights to economic and social justice through the legal and political systems that protect and serve the rights of all people, as well as the web of life. The Sisters of Earth are part of this movement. This year's conference title was The Wisdom of Women, The Wisdom of the Indigenous. 
Indigenous wisdom centers around appreciating the full scope of the natural world and our part in it. It also involves ceremony, ritual community celebrations featuring storytelling, music, singing, drumming, and dance. To open the conference, Donna Cowain, a Mohawk woman who in childhood was forced to hide to be secretive about her native language and culture, performed an abbreviated version of an Algonquin ritual called the Thanksgiving Address. We're interconnected with what we're giving thanks to, so it's not really a prayer, like a materialistic type prayer, but it's a way to give recognition to everything around us. Traditionally, it goes four days. In that four days, you'd hear the address along with a lot of history, song and dance, drumming, of course singing, and in our prayers of thanks, there's a lot of healing that needs to be done. Women's wisdom is a very real force for healing and for positive social and political change. That's what I took away from the conference. Vandana Shiva reminded us that Gandhi's daily prayer was, Make me more feminine. And she said that the most important thing for us to achieve now is a change of paradigm in our view of energy and of power. We're all made to feel powerless on the one hand, and we're made to believe that our only function is to consume. Even energy has been narrowed down to a consumer model. People are told you have no energy, energy has to be bought, and therefore we need nuclear, therefore we need shale gas, therefore we need offshore drilling. But the real energy is the energy in us. And that's the energy that gives us power to change. That paradigm shift in energy would change the way we use the resources of this earth. It would also change our sense of our own power. Shakti is the way we talk about energy in India. Shak means the capacity to do, the capacity to act, the power to act. And Shakti is the power of the universe... She's the feminine energy of the universe, permeating through everything. The masculine paradigm defines power as masculine and defines power and energy as consumptive. The feminine paradigm of power and energy sees energy in the universe. We are part of this earth and this energy is in female form available to all to rejuvenate ourselves and act according to our conscience. Women with Shakti are women with the power and vision for change, progressive women of conscience. And progressive women religious have recently come under investigation by the Vatican because they are deeply questioning the wisdom of obedience to some of the traditional church doctrines, such as policies on contraception and abortion. This investigation of women religious in the United States, otherwise known as the Apostolic Visitation, was spearheaded by Cardinal Frank Rodet in response to concerns regarding, quote, a certain secular mentality that has spread in these religious families, and perhaps also a certain feminist spirit. Patricia Bombard, a doctor of ministry and director of a leadership program at DePaul University in Chicago, told me about this. The Association of Catholic Hospitals, which are run by women religious, wrote to the Senate and were extremely instrumental in getting the Senate to pass the health care bill. 
And at some point in there, there was some bishop who excommunicated somebody. And I wrote back to this listserv. I said, we are no longer at an impasse. You know, because they've kind of like thrown down the gauntlet now. And so how are we going to respond? They're pushing. And so what are we going to do? And it's really vital. And, and actually, the crux of the issue is that part of this investigation of women religious in this country was initiated with the help of a conservative group of women religious who feel threatened by the progressive women religious because they remained in habit, they've remained living in cloisters, they've remained living in communities with a very formalized prayer life. So they had a conference, it's called the Stonehill Conference, you can look it up on the internet. You can also find information on the Apostolic Visitation, they have a public website about it. So they had this conference and they invited this Cardinal Rodet. Who's sisters betraying sisters. Yes. So I said to the leadership of my community, we should stop dealing with Rome and figure out how to talk to those sisters, because they're apparently scared. They're afraid that their form of lifestyle is going to disappear. And they also suggested that there were women within the progressive communities who were fearful of continuing their conservative or traditional kind of lifestyle and afraid to speak out about that because the leadership in the progressive congregations would be upset with them. I heard that and I thought, sounds like projection to me, you know, like it might be what you interpret a leader would do, but it's not my experience of the leadership in my community. In our community, people went out of the habit in the late 60s, and anybody who wanted to remain in the habit did. You know, anybody who wants to pray in a traditional manner still does. You know, so, so they tried to speak on behalf of women they didn't know and an experience they didn't know of. So for me, that's all fear-based. They also say that some of the key players in this investigation out of Rome have been American cardinals who are in Rome. And many of those American cardinals are in Rome because they've had to go there because they would have been arrested if they had stayed here because of the pedophile thing. You're listening to The Power of Wisdom, a special production of In This Regard. I'm Jari Chevalier. Sister Bernadette Bostwick of Green Mountain Monastery, one of the conference's organizers, gave me an ecofeminist nun's view on the term pro-life. What is a pro-life movement when the child in the womb is no longer protected? The placenta no longer protects a child from toxins, from heavy metals. So what you're dealing with is a child in the womb totally left in a state of toxicity and then You want that child to be born and be healthy, and and you're pro-life. But as my mentor would say, Thomas Berry, you cannot have healthy people on a sick planet. And it stands to reason you cannot have healthy babies on an unhealthy planet in an unhealthy, toxic womb. And then when a child is born, mother's breast milk is toxic. We need to get back to where breast milk is what it's supposed to be, nourishing, pure for our children. So it gives one pause when you realize that we're not protecting our children. If you are not pro-Earth, you are not pro-life. And 
those of us working in the capacity of looking at ecological contamination and all of this, we are the ultimate pro-life. I talked with Patricia Seaman, a Dominican sister from Michigan who now heads the Center for Earth Jurisprudence in Miami, Florida. This organization is building the ethical and legal case for a precautionary stance on the uses and deployment of chemicals and pharmaceuticals. Law needs to shift from a property sense of ownership to one of relationship. Not just environmental law, but all aspects of law and how we think about law for future generations that really does provide protection for all of us, all species. Environmental law is primarily regulatory, and that's not enough for us to really transition into the future. The first thing that we need to do is actually restructure the way we think. Documentary filmmaker Jeanette McDermott, who had already been involved in spiritual and ecological work, more deeply changed her life freed herself to do some radically daring activist work full-time through a contemplative process of discernment. I went into discernment for about a year and a half to just really feel where the calling was for me. And ultimately, that led me to Costa Rica and Nicaragua. And in the process of that discernment, I really just came to realize that I didn't need any material stuff anymore. I really didn't. I didn't need a car anymore. I didn't need my house. I didn't need the farm that I had bought. And I didn't need the antiques that I'd collected for 35 years. I didn't need three quarters of the clothes and the shoes. So I sold everything, just got rid of it all and took off and have been living in Central America for two and a half years, deep in the jungle in Costa Rica, uh, working in a biological field station for rainforest conservation, doing media, conservation films, for documentaries uh, to get the attention of the Costa Rican government to stop some development in key habitat. And then in Nicaragua, working uh, with youth to teach them filmmaking, to tell their stories, um, the young people that live in the garbage dump in Central America's largest waste dump in Managua, in the capital city. I asked her to tell me about her work in the Managua dump called La Charega. She said that they call the entrance to La Charega the gates of hell. And that's basically what you're entering. You're entering hell. There are spontaneous methane gas combustions, thick jet black smoke that gets in your lungs. They breathe it day in and day out, 24-7 without a break. I breathe it when I'm working there, but I get a break when I leave. Those people that live there don't. And their water source is the contaminated Lake Managua, but it's very toxic from years of Eastman Kodak dumping all their chemicals into it and then bailing out without cleaning up. It's, it's tragic, really, I'll tell you, it's really tragic because food is so scarce. And the food is the garbage that's in the garbage trucks. And the trucks come and go day in and day out. And, it, and then the 5,000 people, including the small children as young as five, are just waiting for anything they can spear that resembles food or anything that they might recycle. So if you see a chunk of watermelon rind come off the garbage truck or half a rotted banana or anything at all, people are mobbing for it and stabbing for that food. And then there's a lot of decomposition in the dump in La Chireca. There's decomposing animals everywhere, and the stench is horrific. I have photographs and video that the adolescents have taken. The skulls are waist high and just go as far as the eye can see. I've never seen a human skull, but there aren't medical facilities. There aren't hospitals inside the dump, and they don't leave La Chireca. By and large, you just don't leave the dump. Jeanette's brave work is just one example of how Sisters of Earth are confronting the starkest realities of our world and bringing feminine power to bear in the places it is needed most.
Elizabeth Pareto Beltran of Bolivia actively promotes human rights and the rights of Mother Earth through public art and political action. She has witnessed the effectiveness of social solidarity, of people resolute in exercising their democratic powers and participating wholeheartedly in shaping their communities and their society. The wisdom of women and the wisdom of the indigenous are powers strengthened in groups of people through rituals that have a harmonizing and equalizing effect that remind people of their common ground in what really matters in their lives and that uphold their solidarity. Each day at the Sisters of Earth Conference, such community ceremonies take place first thing in the morning. I talked with conference participants Dr. Orla Hazra and artist, writer, and activist Angela Mano about women's rituals and indigenous rituals. All the rituals that women come up with and design have a particular connecting power that in rituals that are dominated now by male patterning don't support that sense of connection. Would you agree with that, Angela? I'd like to know more what you mean about the male patterning in ritual. What, what would that be? Well, that patriarchal, let's say what we experience in a mass, you know, the male stands, I mean, before the back was even to the congregation. So now, okay, so now the priest is before the congregation. But there's a separation between the congregation. The priest comes out with the Eucharist, but it's just hierarchical. The priest is up here, and the people are down there, and everything is up. You know, the, the, the spirit is up instead of gathered in, in amongst. I mean, it's changing, but knowing what we know and then walking into that, it feels empty. Also, um, you know, the ritual of indigenous people is also very horizontal. The Sundance, you know, it's all done in a circular pattern. The uh, sweat lodge, it's very low to the ground. It's very egalitarian. Even if you look into the Iroquois and how they make decisions, women are very involved. In fact, they elect the chiefs. So they watch him his whole life. They watch everybody grow up and then they are really not the final word, but they kind of vet everybody. So I see the sense of always a circle radiating out rather than up. And I think that relates back to what you were talking about, feminine ritual. There's something very similar about earth, earth-centered ritual and feminine ritual. Can you keep on singing loudly? Keep on singing loudly. And of course, great wisdom and power can be found in art, song, and perfect harmony. Emma's Revolution, a duo, Sandy O and Pat Humphreys, with special guest Robin Bird on percussion, gave a rousing concert full of exceptional harmony and songs that speak of peace, justice, and the power of people working together in solidarity. I asked Sandy and Pat how they first got started performing together. We first met because I heard Pat's song Swimming to the Other Side at a meeting that I was at, and I really loved it, and I sent her the music I was doing at the time, and I invited her to come on a tour, and that was 16 years ago, a long time ago. And I don't think we knew that our voices were going to work together so well, but I'm glad that they do. And I recognized a, a musical synchronicity and everything that comfort with Sandy right away. I grew up singing with my younger sister, Tammy. So I brought in my younger sister, Tammy, to sing on this recording and then I thought to bring in Sandy and I was sitting in the control room with the engineer and Sandy could match my voice better than my own sister 
The engineer and I both just thought, that's amazing that she's able to do that. You're listening to The Power of Wisdom, a special production of In This Regard. I'm Jari Chevalier. The wisdom of women and of the indigenous is holistic, integrative, empathic, and satisfying. The conference schedule includes time for reflection, creativity, exercise, stretching, and relaxing massage. Perhaps the greatest power and wisdom in our times rests in integrating ancient knowledge of how to foster healthy relationships and how to hold a sense of wonder in being alive in a marvelous, majestic universe with the many recent discoveries in biology, psychology, anthropology, history, and other disciplines. Mary Evelyn Tucker is a senior scholar and lecturer at Yale University in the School of Forestry and Environmental Studies, and also in both the Divinity School and the Department of Religious Studies. She co-founded and co-directs the Forum on Religion and Ecology, and in all these departments is doing integrative work. I asked her to talk about this work and how it is progressing. We have a new moment where we concede a much more integrative perspective into the heart of very high-powered academia, but that means, more specifically, into the heart of a worldview that pervades universities here and around the world. It's about a transformation of a scientific worldview that sees the universe as dead and to be exploited. The worldview that's gotten us where we are right now. In the 20th century, science taught us more than any other period about the universe, but it was from all the different disciplines. And now the fact that it's coming together is a mutually enhancing thing for science, for history, and for a sense of a person's place in the universe. So cosmology is the term, I think, that we can use, but also a sense of a story that gives people that sense of what is their role, what's their purpose, why are they here. If you look in a bookstore, it could be in a science section, it could be in an environment section, it could be in a religion section, it could be in a history section. We don't have a way of pigeonholing knowledge anymore. Even the sciences, biochemistry, you know, they're already integrating themselves, evolutionary biology. And the next generation understands this. The undergraduate college at Yale is absolutely excellent, but it doesn't have a unifying vision that I can see. There's an interest in reviving classics for how do we live our life as better human beings and so on. But it's a thin vision, and that's true in in most universities because of postmodernism and the anti-meta-narrative. You see, the big narratives, people were like, no, because that's caused problems in 20th century history when you have fascism and totalitarianism, which is giving a large-scale narrative, but that's nationalistic, destructive, so we've got to reclaim the grounds for a meta-narrative that's integrative, not nationalistic or destructive. We are learning, again, to take care of ourselves, each other, and the earth. Elizabeth Pareto Beltran of Bolivia told us in her talk that everybody in the world can have an indigenous heart and that we have to move that peace, awaken that capacity in ourselves and in others. She also spoke of the need for people living in democracies to exercise their democratic powers every day. 
Democracy is not only the act of voting, it's not only elections. Democracy is everywhere and every day. And every day you have to do community decisions to direct your life, your personal but also your community life. You have to be involved in such decisions. In every field of the society, we can apply democracy and solidarity if we want, if we would be decided to. The Sisters of Earth are decidedly leading change and exercising their rights in many ways in communities all over the United States, Canada, and in many other parts of the world. May the wisdom and power of women and the indigenous inspire you. Special thanks for today's program go to Emma's Revolution, the Sisters of Earth, and to studio engineer Charles de Montebello of CDM Studios, New York. This special program is a production of In This Regard, a fiscally sponsored project of Fractured Atlas, which serves as our nonprofit umbrella. Our programs are made possible through financial contributions from listeners like you. Help us to continue to offer these programs by making a tax-deductible contribution today. Just click the Support Our Programs button in the left sidebar at livinghero.com or send us an email for more information on collaboration and sponsorship opportunities. Host at livinghero.com. Thank you so much, and thanks for listening.